0: Amen. All our hope is in Jesus, nothing but the blood. Our hope is not in a string on a guitar. Amen? Amen. Man, worship team, thank you for leading us so faithfully. Man, God is so good just to be with you, be here in this place. And as we're gathered here, I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning. And we are finding ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5. We continue verse by verse through Paul's letter to his friends in Ephesus. This morning, just two verses. Ephesians 5, I'm going to read for you real quick. Verses 15 and 16, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, this is what the Word of God says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Friends, we've been in um, Ephesus with Paul. We've been walking through his letter to the Ephesians for some time now. For those of you who are keeping track, we launched this in January of this year, verse by verse. And some of you are like, oh my goodness. And others are, maybe some of you are like, amen, okay? But the default, unapologetically, is we're going to go to the Word of God because you don't want my opinion, I don't want your opinion. We want to know what the author of all creation and the, the finisher of our faith has to say, and so... We continue in this journey as we've been in some time. And before we go to verses 15 and 16 for our time this morning, I want to provide something I found helpful when you look at the chapters of Ephesians. You can look at chapter 1 and it's this reminder that you have been chosen by God. I didn't really set you up there. Like, "That's that's a really good thing. You've been chosen by God. To be a child of God. And then chapter 2, Paul tells his friends in Ephesus, which tells us today, not only have we been chosen by God to be his son or his daughter, but you were chosen from a place of condemnation. You were dead in the trespasses of your sins. We were chosen by God. Chapter 2, we were chosen from a place of condemnation. And then chapter 3 tells us, not only were you chosen to be a child of God from a place of utter condemnation and hopelessness, But you were chosen to be a child of God from a place of condemnation for a divine purpose. He chose you, believer. He chose you to be his son, to be his daughter, with a purpose to reflect his glory to the nations. The way it's put in the book of Psalms is that he's chosen you to be a child for the purpose of reflecting his glory so that... The nations, Lord willing, would find salvation in Jesus and have a reason to be glad. Oh, that the nations would be glad. There's no greater privilege than the nations to be glad through our reflecting the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Those are the first three chapters who Christ is, who we are in Him. And then we get to chapter four and the remainder of the letter. It's all about because you're chosen. And you have this calling to reflect His glory. Carry out your calling. That's it. And he gets very practical, very real. Where verse four, uh, chapter four, is very clear. Carry out your calling. It kind of builds in this crescendo in chapter five, just all the more emphatic. You want to be sure of what carrying out your calling looks like. Be like God. You're made in His image. Want to be sure of what that looks like. Pour your life out in total humility and surrender to the will of God the Father, just as God the Son did on your behalf. You want to know what carrying out your calling looks like? Don't be deceived by the world around you and the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming upon them. They'll get their day. Don't be fooled. But instead, remember where you've come from. You're a child of God who's been chosen by God. Walk as a child of God. Of God, children of light. And then we come to chapter five. And it's as if Paul is saying if you want to be like God, if you want to pour your life out like Jesus, if you want to walk as a child of delight, if you truly want to no longer live with one foot in the world and one foot out of the world, if you truly want to no longer live in your old clothes, but clothe yourself in righteousness if you truly want to carry out your calling in a way where you're no longer lukewarm, just riding the fence, but you're fully invested all the way in for carrying out your calling as a chosen child of God to reflect His glory, here's two verses for you, verses 15 and 16. Be careful then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the days because they are evil. Paul says, be wise. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say be knowledgeable. Paul does not say we need more people with more knowledge. And I think if he was here today, he would echo what I'm about to say. Lord, help us if all we have is more people with more knowledge. <laughs> and some of you are like, yeah, I hate those people. And the guy next to you is like elbowing you. Yeah, me too. We live in a time in human history where we have more resources, more information, more tools, literally at our fingertips than any other time in human history. We don't need more knowledge. We need more wisdom. And we know by the chuckles across the room, right, we know there's a great chasm between knowledge and wisdom. And it's critical for the believer. Knowledge is knowing the accurate information, Wisdom is taking that accurate information and knowing how and when and why to use it. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Okay, I've got a response. I know what to say. Wisdom is knowing how to say it or when to say it or prepare for your mind to be blown. How not to say it sometimes. Two ears, one mouth, some bigger than others. Knowledge is the reality that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is just because it's a fruit, it does not go in your fruit salad. There is a great, I saw the mind blown on that one as well, right? Some of you are like, wait a minute, i got to check that out. Wait till after service. There's a great chasm between knowledge and wisdom. And Paul says, we don't need more knowledge. We need to be wise. Because, why? The days are evil. We say we're one thing, and then we follow it up with this conjunction, this conjunction, I'm a believer, but maybe it doesn't make that big of a difference. I'm a believer, but that's a little too uncomfortable for me. After all, the cup is not removed from Jesus, so maybe I deserve a little convenience in this little compartment of my life. Paul says we don't need the knowledge, we need wisdom. We need to take the truths of God's grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And humbly submit to the wisdom of God to let that saturate and motivate every aspect of our existence because truly the days are evil. Ancient Ephesus knew that. Back in that day, they were under Roman rule, Roman empire. And so what would happen periodically, the emperor would come in a caravan to different cities and he'd be carried around different cities, and they'd have these parades for the emperor, and it was all for him just to flaunt his power and remind the people who they submitted to. And what the people would have to do during these emperor parades, they'd have to kneel, and they'd have to audibly articulate their allegiance to Caesar. They would be required under their emperor to cry out with the masses, Caesar Curios. Caesar is Lord. But for the believers during ancient Ephesus, they weren't comfortable. They could not, with a clear conscience, express anything like that that suggested Jesus was not the only Lord and King overall. The days were evil in ancient Ephesus. What they knew was that when they were given this opportunity to declare allegiance to Caesar, but based on their convictions of faith and who they knew Jesus uh, to be and the calling they were to carry out, when they didn't do that, they knew what would happen. Sometimes they were spared. Sometimes they just chose to overlook it and carry on. Most times, history says, they were penalized at least as criminals. Many times it cost them their physical life. I share this context with you because too quickly we'll say, yeah, I agree. Amen, pastor. The days are evil then, they are evil now. But the reality, the common denominator, is that it always comes down to if it's a suggestion of Jesus not being the only Lord and King over all. The world we live in today, it's easy to see it's evil. We're quick to To bash one political party over another. We're quick to see a plethora of examples of the evilness around us. Don't believe me? After um, church today, have a conversation about an athlete on a Wheaties box decades ago, and then show a picture of that athlete today. And share with your children why the evil world around us today suggests that's the same person and it's okay that that lifestyle has been adopted. The world today has no regard for the biological gender of male and female. The days are evil. The world we live in today has no regard for a holiness of character. In fact, if you make a stand for integrity or loyalty, they'll say you're closed-minded. They say you're arrogant. The world today values productivity over character every single time. But Paul says, be like God. Be holy. The world today has no regard for the commitment of marriage. Why strap yourself down? Why place yourself in a boundary that's only going to limit you from experiencing the fullness of what this world has to offer? YOLO! See, I'm dating myself. You only live once. Anybody else know that? Come on. There's a few of you. Thank you. Upper 30s, 37. But I think we're guilty, church, when we read a phrase like this in the Word of God, and it says, the days are evil. Oh, yeah, it's evil. What about in your own heart? What about you as an individual believer in your pursuit of Jesus daily? The day is evil all around you, and how are you being influenced and swayed one way or the other outside of that straight and narrow path toward Jesus? Paul says, Be careful to be not as someone who is unwise, but wise, because the days are evil. So what? Make the best use of the time. The days are fleeting. What do we know about time? It's fleeting. It's limited. Isaiah 40, verse, um, verses uh, 3 and a few after that. Go over there with me. Isaiah chapter 40. I think we have it up here for you. Paul references a time that's seasonal and temporary. I'm going, so you've got plenty of time to join me there. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 6. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? And here's the eternal truth from God's word in the Old Testament. All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We're the crown of God's creation. We're the only creatures in all God's creation made in the image of God for the relationship we know in him. Yet we're here and we're gone. Our moment is so brief. Our moment is so fleeting. Jesus' half-brother James spoke something similar in chapter 4. Go with me near the end of your copy of God's Word. James chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. And James is speaking to believers of the scattered tribes of Israel. And he says, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? As Isaiah just said and we read, you're just flesh. God blows on you. You're here one day and you're gone the next. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. So instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So we know our time is brief, we know our time is fleeting. But Paul's instruction still echoes in our mind. But don't be deceived by the world around us. What does the world around us suggest based on our time being brief? The world would then suggest because your time is fleeting, because you don't know when you're going to breathe your last, you ought to run as hot as you possibly can, as far as you possibly can, as long as you possibly can, at all cost. I have a seminary professor I love deeply and I really appreciate him in class. But something he said just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He said in gospel ministry, 100% of the time, I'd rather burn out instead of rust out. He said with a big smile. He'd almost say it every class. Yeah, preacher, I'd rather burn out instead of rust out. And it sounds kind of spiritual, right? Yeah, I want to go out at guns a blazing for the Lord, even if it means I burn out completely. It sounds spiritual, but it's not. Scripture doesn't say, hey, I want you to burn out. And it doesn't say I want you to rust out. Scripture says, I want you to live a grace-paced life and be faithful with whatever today looks like. Be faithful with whatever's in front of you. You are here this morning. Whatever your day looks like, be faithful with that. No matter how it looks like of how you've arrived in your predicament today. Maybe there's some things you've been super obedient and God's been blessing you. And, and you've come in this morning just on a spiritual high. And you're just like, man, it is so good. God, give me some more. Uh, give me another portion I want to be faithful and glorify you. Do it. Keep being faithful. But some of us, and it's harder for us, especially being a First Baptist church, nearly 125 years old in Katy, Texas, it's hard for us to admit the other scenario. But the reality is, many of us are here this morning as well. And the today we find ourselves in is a hot mess, to put it lightly. You look good, you smell good, you sound good, but you're a mess. You're broken. Scripture doesn't say, oh, you need a." Try harder and get a little more perfected. It says no matter how you've arrived where you're at today, it's a gift, so be faithful with that based on the grace of Jesus. There's a book I've shared with you before. It's called Reset. It's all about the culture we live in is a burn-out, disposable, instant gratification world. We're called to live a grace-paced life, although we still live in a burn-out culture. But here's what I want you to focus on, not because it's a good book I've read and a good book I'm continuing to read with some friends of mine. And there's a ladies' version as well called Refresh, living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture as a woman. But it's what the Word of God says. I know it to be true that we're called to be faithful to whatever's in front of us because this is what Paul is emphasizing. Make the best of, of your time. Make the best use of Of the time. The phraseology here, it's the same phrase used for redemption. Some of your translations may have gotten it um, even better than mine, right? Saying, redeem the time. Take that which is fleeting and so uncertain and brief and so broken and such a hot mess, and redeem it. Make something so beautiful out of it. Um, In the Greek, it talks about do something with urgency. In intensity, take full advantage of every opportunity you have before you. Paul doesn't say it explicitly here, but the truth is it, this is this, and I think you need to hear this. If you're here, if you've got breath in your lungs, you've got this opportunity to be faithful. Do something with urgency. Do it with intensity. But also know this urgency does not mean rushed or hurried. Urgency does not mean rushed or hurried. Jesus was very urgent. Jesus was very intense. As God the Son, He came as a lion of Judah to first do the work of the Lamb of God. He knew His time was ever so brief to pour into these disciples who would go to the ends of the earth to pour into carrying out the will of the Father, to to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy and the law, and then go to the cross. He knew he only had three years of public ministry. But he was never hurried, never rushed. What do we see in the gospel accounts? Every time he encountered someone, did he just brush them off and hurry on? Hey, I've got to be about my father's business. He would pause and time and time again, story after story, he would look someone in the eye, respond to them by name, Hear their story and show his love for them. Moved with compassion. Urgency. An intense intentionality. Knowing the opportunity before him. Knowing the days were evil. Knowing the days were fleeting. We're called to take full advantage of the opportunity we have before us. The ancient world knew this phrase that's closely linked to our phrase today, our, our word today, opportunity. Now in Ephesus, they fully um, knew what it meant to take full advantage of opportunities to exploit people. They're at the temple Artemis. Anything sexual or immoral, you could pay for it and agreed upon price, they would exploit you. They would make a profit all at the same time, offering you this counterfeit of a lifestyle that would completely ruin you. They knew how to take full advantage of opportunities. But there along the coastlines in the ancient world, they knew this word that we get our word opportunity. It was ab partu. I've shared this with some of you before. Ab, like Bob without a B. Ab partu. You can hear it, right? Opportunity. And along the coastlines, as ship captains would come in, they'd be seeking safe harbor to dock at whatever safe harbor, and ab partu literally means for port. For port, it it described a moment when time and tide converged, when the situation was orchestrated at the perfect moment of tide and tide converging so that the ship captain could seize the opportunity to arrive in safe harbor. Now today we've got so much modern technology, you don't have to wait for the perfect time and tide to converge and come on in. We've got so many other features of equipment and technology. But back then, it was critical. If you missed your ob Part 2 moment, you could be stranded at sea for days. If you're foolish enough and miss your ob Part 2 moment, for some it would cost them their lives. Ab Part 2. The converging of time and tide. Paul says take full advantage of the opportunity you have before you. Don't be foolish. Be wise. But recognize the days are evil. You're only promised today because you're here with breath in your lungs. So make the most of the opportunity. It's this divinely orchestrated, ever so brief and fleeting opportunity called life. This morning, I think we have an opportunity to consider that. Safe harbor, uh, part two. For some of you, you're here this morning, and you've been hearing me talk about all this stuff. Like, I don't even know what that's about. That has nothing to do with my life. It's because you find yourself here with the gift of life in your lungs, but you've never professed faith on Jesus. You've been buying into the lies of the world around you, and you find yourself here dissatisfied. The divinely orchestrated opportunity before you today because you still have breath in your lungs is to find a peace in Jesus, a safe harbor in relationship with him as Lord and Savior. In just a moment, we're going to sing a couple songs and you're going to have an opportunity to respond to that in faith. But I also recognize the majority we speak to week in and week out, bringing you God's message for God's people for the week ahead. The majority of us here are believers gathered as the committed belonging of Katie's first. You two have an opportunity that's been divinely orchestrated to take full advantage of. But I don't know what that is, guys. You've got to be honest with the Lord and allow the Spirit to work in your life. You've got to lay bare before the Lord and say, I don't know what it is, but, but God, I've got breath in my lungs. So what opportunity, what convergence of time inside of my life right now are you calling me to be faithful with? We've got the worship team. They're going to lead a new song for us. And we're going to have an opportunity just to sit here for a moment. Just reflect on this reality. Because the secret is this. As believers, we've got to come to a place and recognize it's completely out of our control, guys. When we have the opportunity before us, take it. Because holding on to it or knowing another one's coming is completely out of our control. We have a song it, and um, they're going to sing for you. I'm not singing it. Not yet I, but through Christ in me. And I just want you to think and meditate on that, that phrase. It's a great song, but it comes straight from Scripture. Not yet I, but through Christ in me. According to Ephesians, God's orchestrated all of your life events to be here this morning. That he might pursue you and draw you closer in faithfulness and obedience. For some of you, it's coming to a place of recognizing, I am dead in the trespasses of my sin, and I need to profess faith on Jesus as Lord That I might seize this opportunity of grace, knowing I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. For the others of us, it comes to a place of saying, God, I know I have life in my lungs today. I don't know what you're calling me to, but if you would make clear to me, what's the opportunity I need to seize today? How do I need to be faithful today? What does faithfulness look like today? Not yet by me, but through Christ strengthening me. So what I ask is right now, if you would just posture your heart, if, if if it helps you to posture your body in a certain way in the chairs or at the altar, but I just want us to humbly seek the Lord in this time. The worship team's gonna come and lead us in this, and we're gonna respond however faithfulness looks like in our lives at this time.